Welcome to Anxiety and the Artist, the podcast that explores artist's relationship with anxiety, offering insight and inspiration. I'm your host, Allison Schaff. For Mental Health Month, we've partnered with The Ensemblist, the podcast that shows Broadway from the inside out. If you found us by way of The Ensemblist, welcome, and a great big thank you to all of our returning listeners. My guest today is Lisa Gaida. Lisa is a therapist in training, seeing clients at an LGBTQ plus affirming private group practice in Manhattan. She was a professional dancer for 30 years, appearing in 18 Broadway shows. Lisa specializes in anxiety, depression, trauma, performing artists, parenting, and relational issues. Lisa works in the here and now, leans heavily on the therapeutic relationship, and brings the sense of connection, collaboration, and creativity creativity she honed in her first career to her second. Lisa, welcome to the show. Oh my God, you read that so beautifully. Thank you. (laughs) Um, 18 Broadway shows. Yes. That's a lot of dancing. (laughs) A lot of of tech. There was more tech than dancing because they did a lot of flops. Oh no. A lot of listening and a lot of bouncing back. Okay. All right. (laughs) So, um, actually let's just start off by talking about your, your background a little bit as a performer and then we'll jump into the other stuff. Um, I was a, I was a dancer primarily. I was a dancer in theater. Um, you know, I started my career in Los Angeles as a commercial dancer. Like what everything that you see now that's hip hop was sort of jazz. And I Mm -hmm. did that work in LA for about five years. Then I came to New York when I was about 25 and I started doing musicals. And, um, and I did that for a really long time. I really did do, and this is not to be mean to the shows that I did because I, I, am so grateful for the, all of those experiences and some of the floppiest flops were some of the most special experiences, but I really did do a lot of flops. Um, okay. and my whole career was defined by kind of hustling. I was always, I was in tech and auditioning, you know, um, mm-hmm. like it wasn't, I didn't often have the kind of, uh, experience where I was in a show and I, I sat, I, I got to paint my spot in the theater, you know, my dressing area, mm-hmm. I was, you know, usually in tech and got the sense that the show may not, may not be a commercial success. And I'd be auditioning, you know, before I even got that show off the, off the ground. Right. Right. So how has your background as an artist informed your career as a therapist? Well, I would say that I think that my background as an artist has informed my new career enormously because as artists, we put a lot of faith in what like regular people call instincts, you know, mm-hmm. like our feelers and our bells and whistles Um, that like a, a fancy way of talking about it. And I do not, you know, I'm not like an expert in um, AEDP, which is one of the therapies that I'm learning at my practice that I'm crazy about. I love it. Um, but, but this woman, Diana Fosha talks a lot about um, uh, limbic, experience. And so like, if you and I were talking, you know, we might, um, say 10 words to each other, but we've exchanged a ton of information through our limbic systems. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's like what you just glean from somebody that's not words. It's nonverbal. It's, it's, um, you know, it's like beneath the surface. And because we live in a world where we value that we tune into that, um, you know, you enter the therapy world with a real sense of, how other people feel in a room and you can lean on that. 
um, in, in the therapeutic relationship. So, you know, and, and collaborating and connecting, we're connectors. Mm-hmm. Um, we're in love with mankind, you know, in a way uh, we mm-hmm. care about feelings. We always have. So it, it's a really natural transition. I mean, it, it really does feel like, um, I'm using like 90% of the apparatus that I created as a dancer. Um, still amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. So super basic question. Yeah. What is anxiety? The technical definition is a feeling of nervousness or unease typically about an imminent event or something with an uncertain outcome. But what's really important when you're doing therapy as a, as a therapist is to find out what anxiety is to each person. Mm-hmm. It has a lot of expressions, uh, you know, uh, countless people will call uh, the practice where I work um, and, and report that they have anxiety and, and it's never the same thing in, in anybody, anybody that I've ever spoken to about their anxiety. It has its own expression. And okay. people, people have their own definition. It can vary from experiences like having panic attacks um, mm-hmm. to dissociation, where you uh, when it's really bad, where you um, feel like you're not really here. Hmm. Um, it can it can be shortness of breath, a racing heart, um, racing thoughts, inability to be present, uh, stuff like that. How does anxiety specifically affect artists? Uh, that's a, that's another sort of it, it's like a snowflake experience. Mm-hmm. It affects artists. It, it sort of intertwines with artist identity, the question of what an artist identity is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, I can speak from my own experience that when I, let's say I had a line in a show mm-hmm. you know, where I said something and it was supposed to be funny. If there was a night where people didn't laugh, I would have a really anxious response to that. Huh. And, okay. it, and it was, it was, you know, sort of intertwined with my identity. Like if I'm not good, which is a moment to moment thing for a lot of artists, you know, mm-hmm. like tonight I'm not good, which means I'm not good. Mm. Um, and it can be like fundamentally unsettling. Like, will I eat again? <laughs> will I work again? You know, I don't understand why that didn't work. So, you know, that's one expression of how anxiety works. There's longer terms ver- term versions of it when people haven't worked in a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, it can manifest in various ways, you know, that way. Um, so it's, it's intertwined with everything we do because like, like the definition says, we, we exist in so much unknown, even the night to night, like the outcomes is the laugh going to be there. You mm-hmm. know, how, how's, how's it, what's the audience going to be? We just live in, you know, will this job last for two weeks or a year? Will I get this audition? You know, we're constantly investing in things without knowing what the outcome is going to be. And it really does develop like this unbelievable set of superpowers, but it also costs mm-hmm. um, in terms of anxiety. Right. Well, and it sounds like there's like it's layer upon layer of anxiety. It's not just, you know, oh, my God, they didn't laugh at my line. It's then yeah. how am I going to pay my rent? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, yeah. <laughs> You, you have anxiety, like, for, you know, just in a basic need, fundamental needs in life, yeah. you know, on one, one side, and then your express, your creative expression and your worth and value as an artist. And mm-hmm. I feel like multiple, you know, when, when you have multiple things layering on top of each other, then that can kind of create a perfect storm Absolutely. in a way. Absolutely true. Talking about identity, mm-hmm. um, a lot of artists are struggling with their identity during COVID. Yeah. Can you share your thoughts on artists' identity in general, and then more specifically how COVID has affected that? You know, a lot of us come from some form of pain or rejection. Um, you know, whether it's that you were you're uh, like a 
you know, young gay kid in a small town or you had a, a funky parent or whatever it is, we, a lot of us turn to our craft and we begin to thrive and we begin to belong and all of these essential things, we feel safe, we feel competent, we feel accepted, um, we, you know, and it becomes intertwined at a very young age, our identities. And so it's a very complicated identity because that's why when I didn't get the laugh, I was fundamentally shaken, mm-hmm. you know, because my, my sense of myself and my, my well-being and safety was wrapped up in whether or not a laugh happened. Mm-hmm. Um, so our, our identities are very complex. They're formed very young. Um, so the part of us that identifies as an artist might be a very young part, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and then there's a lot of sort of mythology around it. You know, there's this, it, I talk about this all the time. I have lots of sort of talks with people, groups of people, um, and in the arts. And what comes up over and over again is the nature of the artist's relationship to art and if it were a person, everybody would be like, girl, get out. <laughs> Art's like, don't even glance anywhere else. This is the only mm. thing you look at. It's the only thing you consider. It's the only thing you do. And if you so much as even, you know, think about what else you might be interested in or who else you are, this will be, this will be snatched away because you don't want it enough. Hmm. You know, and so mm-hmm. there's all these walls built up around our identity that are very, cons- they, they're constricting. And also to a friend of mine, I said, why do you think it's so hard for people in COVID to consider the other things that they're interested in? I mean, there are many reasons why, because we're, we're traumatized and dealing with extraordinary stress. So that's one reason. Right. But, uh, <laughs> the other thing is that he said, it's because I don't know how to do anything a little. Hmm. <laughs> so I, yeah. don't, I don't know how to dabble. Yeah. So those, so those are some ideas about the performer's identity and it, how, how that works itself out in COVID is that now we're sort of dealing with the loss of that identity and all the questions about whether or not we're allowed to be curious about who we are outside of this, in all of this space, and doing all of that in the context of sort of global trauma after national trauma after, you know, right. it, it's, it's, we've been managing a lot. So it's a lot to ask yeah. people to even begin to consider this question. It's a deep question. What is some advice that you would have to an artist that is currently struggling with their identity? What are some steps they can take? You know, it, it, this is the thing that's so, if I had an individual in, in, in a, in a session, I would get really curious about how this is for them. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but, but generally speaking, I would say the first thing I would say is right now for some, and maybe even for many, the only priority that one needs to consider is of getting through this in one piece mm-hmm. and so if getting into identity is overwhelming it's okay like let's not do it you know what i mean mm-hmm. um and and just sort of because we are learning and we're doing and we we don't even know the process that we're having right now because we're managing so much so in other words like we'll come out on the other side of this and look back and be like oh i was in process mm-hmm. you know what i mean you might find mm-hmm. that you were in process you were learning something but right now you know, it's so immediate what's going mm-hmm. on. We might not be aware. We might not have like a meta sense. Right. Uh, and then in terms of people that are sort of like, curious, you know, I, again, I, I had this informal group um, of performers. Like, so it was like group therapy, but really informal because I wasn't, I'm not licensed and I wasn't being supervised. So I gathered them together and we just talked. 
Okay. One of the members of that group said, this is just one way that people can frame it if it's overwhelming to think about things in terms of transition. He said, I don't like to think of it as transition. I like to think of it as an addition. And in framing it that way, this person was able to do unbelievable things in this crisis because transition implies you have to leave something behind. Right. And one of the ways people, you know, depending upon how your brain works, you know, one of the ways people can sort of deal with this and make it manageable is to say, listen, we're not talking about that. You know, how much space can I make in my life, you know, psychologically, um, for a little curiosity about ways I can build who I am, an add-on. Right. It's an add-on. So you still have your fierce house, and now you're doing an add-on. Mm-hmm. Um, and then some people really do want to think about it in terms of transition. Um, and I would really say to, to all of these people, and I think I think support is essential. Like, if you can find, I know that um, the Actors Fund has performers groups, transition groups. Uh, my site, we're going to be, we're going to be doing a, a performance group in the spring. Um, so I would find groups of people, even informal zoom groups where you get together once a week, the group that I had, they, um, get together every week. Still, I'm not a part of it anymore. And they go like, who wants to talk tonight? And like, there will be plenty of nights. They're like, nah, I can't make it tonight. You know, I, I encourage people to find two or three, four people that they can sort of touch base with and have, and just bring what's coming up for them in COVID as mm-hmm. performers to the informal group and it's free that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but, but I guess my, the short answer is I would say, I would suggest that everybody connect somehow, connect to each other, connect to a therapist, do this in connection because it's very overwhelming, you know, um, to confront when we leave uh, the performer's life or, or the performer's identity that we understood that only performer, that identity, mm-hmm. um, when we leave it behind, um, what can sometimes happen, what happened for me is you are left with all of the wounds that that bandaid covered and now right. you're not covered anymore. And it's, it's really beautiful and important work to do and it's best done in connection. Coming up, finding our creativity during COVID. everyone wanted to pause for a moment to tell you about my therapy nyc the group that lisa practices with my therapy nyc is a group psychotherapy practice based in new york city the practice offers mental health services including individual couples and group therapy as well as a monthly meditation and mindfulness group free webinars and other mental health resources the licensed psychotherapists at my therapy nyc specialize in anxiety trauma depression LGBTQ plus issues and relationships, and they're currently working virtually. To learn more about the psychotherapists at My Therapy NYC, or to book a free 15-minute consultation, you can visit their website at mytherapynyc.com. So we're currently in the middle of an industry-wide shutdown, and a lot of artists are struggling with ways to to express their creativity. What uh, advice would you have on finding alternative ways to express yourself during this time? Our creativity, it, we were told a lie when we were told that it can only be done in one way. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I experienced, so creativity for me is being completely in touch with my viscera 
my emotional experience. I find raising my kids when I'm not in quarantine, which I, I find raising my kids in quarantine quite torturous. But I found, <laughs> I, I found before, before this nightmare, I found raising my kids, I was, you know, I was like, why does this feel the same? I feel as gratified. And for me, it was because I was this process. Now, that's not like parenting for everybody. That's not that way for everyone. But mm-hmm. there, there are all kinds of ways we have to, the whole process of transition is is boiling it down to the basic of what's going on. So like we think we need to be in theater, but what but is it possible that what we need is community? Is it possible that what we need is validation? Is it possible that what we need is um, you know, uh, to be in motion? Is it possible mm-hmm. that what we need is to be in song? Like everything avail- is available to us and on a deeper level than than the in, the limited identity that we think is our our performer selves. Mm-hmm. And so the same thing goes for creativity. Your creativity is deeper than pen to paper. You know, it's, it's, it's a, an essential piece of you that you can locate. And I would, you know, so in addition to sort of these awesome created, these books that put us in touch with our inner artists, which I would recommend, I would just add, um, oh, to, to, Get curious and begin a process of understanding the nature and the root of your creative impulses. And, and you might find that it's not limited to um, the things you think it's limited to. It could, it could be expressed in knitting, in running, you know. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, I remember reading my stepdad sent me when I was beginning my transition an article about a woman who started a bakery. And, nice. and she said, the passion wasn't in the dancing. It was in me. And, and it's an important distinction to make because I think a lot of the time artists think that what they need is outside of them and, and can only be, you know, their inner artist can be um, satisfied through that relationship, but it belongs to us. It's ours. And it, right. needs, and it and often needs to be done in connection. That is true, you know. Um, and yeah, and so, you know, there, there are ways to, um, if, if one needs to do their craft in front of somebody, there are ways to do that. If an artist is considering therapy, can you provide us with an overview of what types of therapy are out there? There's so many kinds of therapy. Before I became a, a therapist, I thought therapy was one thing. Therapy is a very wide range of things with a lot of different belief systems, and they believe a lot of different views of what the therapeutic process should be. And, mm-hmm. and what the therapeutic relationship should look like and how, how people are and what angle we should look at people from. Um, so there's the, the site that I uh, work with, My Therapy um, NYC. The reason I really wanted to work with them is because they do experiential therapy. And it's, that leans heavily on the um, therapeutic relationship. Okay. And um, it, it's a relational therapy. So you treat the therapy process as if it's a laboratory okay. for life. So if somebody is making you feel anxious, you might say as a therapist, wow, you know, I'm like, I'm having this conversation with you and I'm feeling, I'm feeling so anxious as we talk about this. Are you feeling anxious too? And, and you sort of use your relationship to say like, do you think other people might feel this way? You know, hmm. when this is going on and what do you think about that? And, and it's a way of sort of watching your own, who you are in relationship but with somebody who's going to name it with you mm-hmm. and, and work it through with you. 
it also, you know, my site uses the, the experience in the moment. So people are very thinky. You know, mm-hmm. you ever hear somebody say, like, I know what to do and I know why I do this, but I can't make that change? Yeah. So I believe um, that that's because there hasn't been, a, like, a mind-body connection. Okay. So emotionally, so you understand intellectually, but your mind is like this tiny rider on a giant wild elephant, and the giant wild elephant is your emotional life. <laughs> no, it's adorable to know. <laughs> but good luck. Because, right. Because it's not enough. And so, you know, exper- experiential therapy, the AEDP, um, has a process for if somebody is you know, like with me, with the laugh, when I didn't get the laugh, if I went to therapy and talked about it, the therapist might say, can we go there? Can we do that together? Can we go to that moment together? Can we remember it? We would remember it. And, and we would sort of use, we would, um, use somatic work. We would go into my body. Where do you feel that fear? And you would Mm -hmm. locate it emotionally. What does that fear feel like? Does it have a texture? Does it have an age? That would have been an interesting question. How old is that fear? Because for me, the answer probably would have been five Wow. You know, and okay. you, you learn just tons of information about this stored belief system that lives beneath your thinking mind that runs your show. Okay. Narrative therapy where you redefine your stories and you ask yourself who created this story. So like if you're a dancer and you're like, oh, I don't have a good body for dancing. And then you have to ask yourself, well, who decided what a good body for dancing was? Do you agree? Like, was it an old white guy that hates women? <laughs> <laughs> you know, like so right. let's just let's think about that narrative and let's let's let's, you know, whatever. And you can thicken your narrative by saying, you know, oh, I'm not, you know, oh, I'm bad at math. And and narrative therapy enables you to sort of thicken the story, you know, and, and you look for ways in which your story may be inaccurate. And then mm. you, you get a fuller, more reliable um truth about yourself and life and others. By doing that, by looking for the holes. Right. That sounds very similar to Brene Brown's. The story I'm telling myself right now is. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And, and, and it puts you out. To, a lot of these modalities put you outside the story. And the moment you do that, you're different. You're not huh. the story anymore. You're not the story. You now have more say because you're looking at the story and thinking about it. As right. A, as opposed to I am the story. I'm lost in the story. The story is running my show. Right. Well, that leads me to my next question. Um, What should an artist look for in a therapist? Yeah, I think that this is something that artists are going to do really well. They're going to ask themselves, how does this feel? (laughs) How does it feel? And you're going to know, you know, you will have some sense that, um, that you're interested. It's almost like, 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 am I interested in a second date? You know, you will have some say it might not be, you know, just like all romances, like sometimes, you know, you, sometimes it's just like, yeah, I'm curious about a second date. And then other times it's like the first, it's love at first sight. Um, mm-hmm. But you do know, you know, and your body knows, and you do have a sense that you can feel momentum and a, se- a sense of connection. The connection is just essential. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you're feeling like you have, um, that it feels good to be in the room with this person, that you feel connected with this person, um, that's the stuff that therapy is built on. Mm-hmm. So uh, artists can look for um, the chemistry. It, it can be very difficult for people right now to find a therapist. I mean, it can be in general, but I'm finding during COVID it's mm-hmm. even more difficult because you all are very busy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so what are some, uh, I don't want to say alternatives to therapy, but if somebody doesn't can't quite gain get access to a therapist, yeah. what are some things they can be doing 
to, to work on themselves and to, to maybe help ease some of the anxiety they might be feeling right now? So many things. So one of the things that I mentioned is some form of regular connection. So like uh, a, a weekly connection with others on Zoom, uh-huh. you know, 45 minutes of, you know, so one thing that is really important is to stay in community and in connection. Um, uh, another thing would be, uh, there's all kinds of mindfulness exercises that are available to you. Um, mindfulness is really great right now. Um, mm-hmm. So I, you can sort of Google mindfulness on meditation is something that people can use to take care of their, to uh, support themselves right now. I, and the thing that I keep coming back to it, more than anything is connection. Like just reach out and talk mm-hmm. to someone because doing this alone is you know, and going through, like, even if you're thinking about your transition, like doing that alone in your apartment is going to be really different than doing it with two other people. Mm-hmm. It's because of how we are designed as mammals. It's just science. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Lisa, thank you so much for being here today and for sharing your insight. It's very appreciated. It's my pleasure. It's so nice to talk to you. And I want to thank you. I really want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for um, having this conversation. I think it's really important. That's our show for today. Thanks for listening. And thanks to my guest, Lisa Gaida. A special thank you to Mo and everyone over at The Ensemblist for our partnership this month. For more information on Lisa, head on over to our website, anxietyandtheartist.com. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and tell a friend. Until next time, be healthy and stay creative. Anxiety and the Artist is produced by Grost Productions and recorded at Homestead Studios. Music and engineering is by Bosco Chef. This podcast represents the opinions of Allison Chef and her guests. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for informational purposes only. And because each person is so unique, please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions.